Please turn with me in your Bibles now to Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. If you're using the Bibles in the chairs around you, you can find it on page 776. <clears throat> Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ships threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, for this uh, prophetic book of Jonah. And we ask now that you would help us uh, through your word to see our sin, to understand our sin the extent that we go to hide our sin and the effects that it has on, us, on, on other people. And we ask also, Lord, that you would uh, help us to understand what true repentance is so that we can walk in it. And we also ask, Lord, that uh, your word would just display the glory of your patience and your mercy and your power. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. There was a man in Cleveland, Ohio, named Ted Conrad. He was 20 years old, and he was a bank teller. It was 1969, and it was uh, during the same week that man stepped onto the moon for the very first time. And that week, Ted did something that nobody expected. After closing at his bank, he walked out with $215,000 in cash in a bag. Yeah, which in today's standards would be about $1.7 million. It's uh, still one of the largest bank robberies in Cleveland's history. And then Ted fled. He traveled all around the country, uh, and he eventually uh, landed in Linfield, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. Then he cut off all communication with his family, with his parents and siblings and extended family. He covered all of his tracks, too. He, uh, he got a new social security number uh, with a new name, uh, Thomas Randell. And uh, then he was actually able to register, register himself as two years older than what he actually was. He, uh, he, he found a job working at a country club, and uh, he eventually he did well there, eventually became a manager there. 
He married his wife in 1982 and they had a daughter. And then he sold cars for about 40 years. He made a lot of friends and they, they all described him as a gentle soul who was very polite, never said a bad word and never raised his voice. He, they said that he was the definition of a gentleman. But uh, I think some of these uh, things were ways that Ted was hiding. And he, and there were other ways too. He, he always had a beard and he would often wear sunglasses. His friends say that he was reluctant to talk about his childhood and his extended family. The authorities uh, searched uh, for him for 50 years, uh, but they never found him. It was on his deathbed in 2021 that he told his wife and his daughter about his crime. Only after his death were the authorities able to put the whole puzzle together and to announce that they had finally found the man that, uh, that they had been looking for for over 50 years. It's amazing to what extent Ted went to hide his sin. And I can't imagine the effect that his sin had on his parents and on his siblings and extended family to never see him again, never hear from him again. I can't imagine the effect it had on his wife and his, his daughter to realize that after he were on his deathbed that he had done such a, such a thing and the, the shame that would follow from that and, and the effect they would have on his friends who knew him uh, for so many years and, and never would have imagined uh, the, the double life that he had, that he had lived. Well, this morning as we consider the book of Jonah, we, we see that Ted was not that different from Jonah and he was not that different than us. We too are driven by sin to flee and hide at great costs, even if the people that we love the most are the people who pay those costs. So today we will aim to have God's word instruct us in understanding our sin uh, and the effects of it and, and, and the extent that we go with it. And then also to consider what exposure of sin and repentance of it uh, should look like. And then we'll also consider the, the glory of the extent of God's patience, mercy, and power. Last week we started this series on the book of Jonah, and we saw how God told the prophet Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites to repent from their wickedness. But as we all know, Jonah immediately fled the other direction. He went down to Joppa and got on a boat headed for Tarshish. And so at this point in the story, Jonah is blissfully sailing away. He's left everything behind and probably paid a large sum of money for this trip to happen. So I, I just really wonder, what was, what was going through his mind? Was he thinking that he was going to start a whole new life once he got to Tarshish? Or was he thinking that he would, he would just kind of go there and then after God would unleash his wrath on the unsuspecting Ninevites and, and maybe he would just destroy them like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, then, uh, then, then maybe uh, Jonah would return to Israel after, after, uh, after God had brought his judgment. Uh, well, we will never know. I will never know what he was thinking. But, um, but in the meantime, at this point in the story, uh, it says in verse 5 that he decided that he would, for the meantime, go down to the inner part of the ship to sleep. Now here we see something interesting with the word down. It's the, being intentionally repeated. This is the third time Jonah has gone down in just a few verses. 
And it won't be the last. We will see it again. After God had told him to go to Nineveh, in verse 3, he says he, it says he went down to Joppa. Jonah continues his descent then when he then found a ship and then it went uh, and, and he went down into it. Then in verse 5, it says that Jonah went down into the inner part of the ship. Down, 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 Jonah descended. His sin is only taking him in one direction, and now he is in the lowest part of a ship, perhaps just under the surface of the sea. His sin has taken him this far and has brought him this low. He is asleep, and so is his conscience. But then in verse 4, everything begins to change. Jonah could not flee the presence of the Lord. And the Lord was not done with Jonah or with the Ninevites. So the Lord responded. He hurled a great wind upon the sea, and the storm was so violent that the, that the ship was probably groaning and, and, and threatening to, to break and, and to then uh, to sink to the, to the bottom of the sea. Now, I've never been on a boat where there was a, where there was a storm uh, Probably the best thing comparable to this that I've experienced is back on December 15th, uh, just from last year, and that huge storm that, that hit here and in southern Minnesota and Wisconsin, and there were tornadoes, and, and the, the, the sirens were going off. And, and that entire night, uh, we were just surrounded with wind. It was blowing all around our house. And, and I was thinking, like, well, okay, like, is this even safe to be in the house? Is, is it going to take the roof off? Like, what's, uh, what's going to happen here? Well, uh, obviously, what happened on December 15th uh, was was clearly not as bad as what Jonah was experiencing here. Uh, This was very, very, very dangerous. And so, with this danger that's come upon this boat and the sailors and Jonah here, we begin to see the effects of Jonah's sin on other people. Old Palmer Robertson put it this way, You will invariably bring trouble to the life of others as well as to your own life if you are walking contrary to the will of God. This is true for Jonah. Uh, Verse 5 says that the storm was so violent that the mariners, probably these really tough sailors, they were afraid for their very own lives uh, to, to, to the point that they were exhausting all of their options to survive. They, they prayed to their own gods to stop the storm. And when uh, that didn't work, they, they, they then tossed the cargo. Because of Jonah's sin, these men were on the verge of death. They were terrified. Yes, they were, they were also sinners and would, they would justly deserve death. But, but here, this storm is clearly coming as a result of Jonah's disobedience. And the mariners are... in. A, a true sense of the word, they are just innocent bystanders. How bitter the truth is that we too will often let our sin affect those around us. And oftentimes it isn't strangers. It's, 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 it's most of the time it's the closest people that we know and love. We'll go to great lengths to, to, to stay in our sin, even to the point of maybe even endangering ourselves or endangering other people. 
Our disobedience, it may make others afraid. It, it, it may, maybe it, it exposes them to evil and, and perhaps it, it might even tempt them. And at its very worst, it can make others think that Christianity is just a hollow religion of hypocrites. So let's not deceive ourselves. Our hidden sin against God rarely has no impact on other people. Our sin hurts other people. Ask yourself this, this, this blunt question. This is really blunt. Am I willing to continue to be unloving towards these other people to even hurt them so that I can keep my sin? Right, that's really blunt when you put it in that light, right? So are you willing? Are we willing? Now some of you may say, I know that my sin is hurting myself and other people. But I am too deep in my sin to stop. I'm too entangled to get out. I, I'm too far out to see to ever return. I've tried again and again to return, to turn my life around, but I'm out of control. I'm just adrift, letting the waves of my desires and my chaotic life just push me in the direction of the moment. Is there hope for me? Will God ever stop being angry with me and just help me? If that somewhat describes you, know that you are never too far from grace and from God's mercy and from God's power. No one is outside of his reach for him to bring back to himself. God describes himself chiefly as being gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is faithful and he will provide a way of escape for you in your temptations. Though that way of escape is often hard and slow and sometimes it has to involve other people to help you. So sin, it pushes us to go to great lengths to, to keep our sin hidden, even if it means other people will pay the cost. But we are never too far out to see for God to wake us up, expose our sin to us, and to bring us to repentance. And this is what we see next in the story of Jonah. After the sailors had thrown all the cargo overboard, the captain realizes that he hasn't seen Jonah in, in, in all this chaos. And, and uh, he needed every man to do everything that they could to, uh, to keep uh, the, 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 the ship stable and to keep them all alive. So the captain, probably, probably just drenched in water and wide-eyed with adrenaline, he, he comes down to the inner part of the boat and just imagine how shocked and angry he'd be to see Jonah just lying there sleeping through this crisis. Everyone's about to die, and Jonah's asleep. So the captain yells at Jonah to wake him up, saying, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God! Now this for sure woke up Jonah. <laughs> uh, but, but the text, it's surprising, the text doesn't say here that he then immediately prayed. It doesn't say that. Now how shocking it is that that the pagan sailors had more of a sense to, to pray than Jonah, a prophet of God. And now, how true it is that, that when, when we are sinning, it is often very difficult to pray. 
Because sin and, and, and prayer are antithetical to one another. Now, maybe, maybe Jonah didn't pray here because he was just so, he was so, so shocked and, 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 uh, and, 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 and he was suddenly beginning to realize that, whoa, uh, God, God is not letting me escape. Something is very wrong here. Now, he, was, he was blissfully asleep and now, now he's faced with an, an angry, wet sailor who is afraid for his life. So that may, may have made Jonah uh, fairly afraid. Uh, so this is a very shocking thing to wake up to. And, and there, there may have been something else that got Jonah's attention and just kind of stopped him in his, his train of thought. There are two words that the captain used that may have made Jonah realize that God was after him. The captain uses the same two commands that God had said to him back in the beginning when Jonah was, God was calling Jonah to go to the Ninevites. Back in verse 2, Arise, call. Arise and call. Perhaps this made Jonah remember his disobedience and, and, and maybe God used this to tell Jonah that he was still calling him to the Ninevites. So was, was God here? Was he using a pagan to speak to a prophet? Oh, wasn't that backwards? Shouldn't the prophet be speaking to the pagan? This kind of is, is similar to like when Balaam's donkey tell, you know, speaks to the prophet Balaam. Things are reversed. It's not supposed to be this way. So I believe God is using this ironic moment to announce to Jonah that he could not flee from his presence. And his evil had gone up uh, to God and it was not unnoticed. Maybe God was using those two words, arise and call. Yeah, maybe he wasn't, I don't know. But, but one thing is crystal clear right now. Jonah has been woken up. In verse 7, the sailors once again show that they are exhausting all options to end the storm. The thought now comes to their mind that perhaps this evil has come upon all of them because of the sin of one of them. Now, where do you think they got that idea from? <laughs> so they decide to cast lots to see who the guilty man is. Now, imagine Jonah hearing the sailors suggest this idea. And so, yeah, Jonah was a prophet, and so he knew God's word, and so he knew that sometimes God exposes sinners through the casting of lots. Uh, there's people like Achan in the book of Joshua uh, who uh, his, his sin was exposed through the casting of lots, and then he was stoned to death. So I wonder if the fear of being found out and perhaps being uh, killed by the sailors, perhaps that all swept over Jonah as he heard of this idea of casting lots to expose a sinner. And yet Jonah still did not expose his own sin. Like David with Bathsheba, and like Adam and Eve, he chose to be silent and, uh, and to let his sin be exposed by somebody else. Brothers and sisters, we ought not to be like Jonah in this way. We, uh, we ought not to be like him and, and, and just, just wait for our sin to be found out. Rather, we are to follow the pattern of Psalm 32. 
of Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, David expresses how, how terrible it is to stay silent in, about sin, to leave sin unconfessed. He says this in Psalm 32, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. But then David ends his silence and he confesses his sin saying, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Hidden sin will eat away at your soul. But when you acknowledge your sin, when you leave it uncovered before God, and if needs be, uncover it before someone else, the Lord is there to forgive you. He's there to forgive. Jonah, however, chose to keep silent. He hid for one last minute and he left it to the lots. Or, uh, he, uh, or should I say that he left it to the hand of God? He was going to be exposed by God's sovereign hand through seemingly random lots being cast by the hand of pagans. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Its every decision is from the Lord. There is no luck or chance with God. Even random outcomes are decided by the Lord. Now, the, the whole topic of of uh, using lots, uh, the evil uses of it, the the uh, wise, the sometimes wise uses of it. That's a topic for a different time. I'd love to talk with you about that. Uh, but here in this passage, God used the casting of lots for His purpose of exposing Jonah. God is displaying His sovereignty over seemingly random, randomly cast lots to achieve His purposes. Truly nothing can stay God's hand. Well, we're not surprised to read that the lots fell on Jonah, and I bet Jonah was not surprised either. When the sailors see the results, then they uh, begin to just pepper Jonah with questions. Uh, Verse 8, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? What comes next is what I believe is the beginning of Jonah's repentance. He's no match for God. His sin has been discovered. Here is what he says in in verse 9. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah's repentance begins with him truthfully sharing who he is. He is a Hebrew. The sailors obviously hadn't heard that before. They didn't know who he was. Or maybe he had told them a lie. I don't know. He's truthfully declared that he is a Hebrew. And then he testifies to who he worships, that he fears Yahweh the Lord. Yes, Jonah has not feared God and worshipped him well uh, in his fleeing, But now he has turned. He's come back to his deepest commitments and beliefs. He fears and worships the Lord. 
And then Jonah testifies to who the Lord is. He specifies who he is, that he is, he is Yahweh, uh, that he is the one and only God of heaven, the God who made the sea and the land, the God who is ultimately sovereign over the very storm that they were in. This is the first step of repentance. To remember who we are, who we worship, and who God is. We are sinners. We're saved by Christ and so we belong to God. That's who we are. And who do we worship? We are worshipers of God. Yes, inconsistent, sometimes hypocritical uh, in our worship, but we are committed to worshiping God alone and God above all other gods. And God, we worship God who is Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant-keeping God who, who made everything and who revealed himself to our forefathers, as we know through the Holy Scriptures. So this is, this is the beginning of repentance, to remember who we are, who we worship, and who God is. So as you, as you can see, repentance and faith go together. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. We must believe in God in order to repent. And believing is repenting. It's turning away from unbelief and sin to God and His righteousness, His ways. Now Jonah, he's not done sinning in this book. Um, We're going to see that he still has some very... uh, um, uh, very angry thoughts towards the uh, towards the Ninevites. Now, we're going to see that in chapter four. But right now he is headed in the right direction, or at least his heart is seems to be orientated towards now towards God's will and not his own. So things will things will get darker for Jonah. But now at this point he's done fleeing, and we see in this chaotic moment where death feels but a breath away that God has been sovereignly working this entire time. In the darkness of the storm, the chaos of it all, we see something really clearly. We see the great extent of God's patience and His mercy and His power. Let's go back to the first three words of our passage in verse 4. But the Lord. But the Lord. God did not ignore Jonah's sin or just let Jonah stay in his sin. He pursued him. He pursued him not to destroy him, but to bring him back to himself, to restore him to his calling to be the prophet of God and to be the prophet to the Ninevites. But the Lord. Three words that remind us of how great is God's patience and long-suffering Toward us. He is slow to anger. Think about this for a minute. Why did God wait to confront Jonah until he was in a boat on a sea, in the sea? Why did he wait that long? Back in Israel, as soon as Jonah had decided he was going in the opposite direction, couldn't God have confronted him then and there? Couldn't he have just maybe sent a great wind to blow his house down on top of him? Or, or maybe when, when he started going down to Joppa and he was making that journey, uh, couldn't God have sent uh, a band of robbers to just beat him up? 
to punish Jonah that way? Why did God let Jonah get so far? Uh, almost to the point of dying in a, a storm at sea before disciplining him and waking him up to seeing the sinfulness of his sin. Well, it's because God's patient. It's a testimony to the extent, the great extent of God's patience. He is slow to anger. Even after all of Jonah's hiding and fleeing, God's patience, he's patient with us too, his children. We may have given up on ourselves, or maybe we've given up on others who have shipwrecked their faith, but God has not given up on his work in his children. He who began a good work in you, and he who began a good work in the lives of others that you know, he will bring it to completion. Not only do we see God's patience displayed toward his wayward children here, but we also see the great extent of God's mercy toward the nations. But the Lord reminds us that God wasn't done with the Ninevites after Jonah refused to call them to repentance. The Lord knew of the great evil of the Ninevites, but he also greatly desired mercy for them. And he desired it so much that he pursued his prophet with a storm and with the casting of lots to bring Jonah to repentance. He pursued Jonah that far so that he could bring about mercy towards the Ninevites. So this story, it's not just about Jonah. It's about the nations and God's plan from the very beginning to call the nations to himself. God desired not only the, the humbling of the Ninevites, but also the humbling of these pagan sailors, that they may, might know that Yahweh is God. Next week, uh, in our passage for next week, we're going to see that the sailors, they're going to pray to Yahweh, specifically Yahweh, they're going to pray to Yahweh. It says they're going to fear him and they're going to offer a sacrifice to him. Jonah didn't have mercy on these pagans, but God did. He patiently let Jonah flee all the way uh, to, to, this, to this boat, to this specific boat with these specific sailors to show his specific mercy for these sailors. How great is God's wisdom that he's orchestrating all these things. He's being, he's being patient with Jonah in order to have mercy on these sailors, in order to have mercy on these Ninevites, in order to humble Jonah in all of these different ways. God's wisdom is absolutely profound in how he orchestrates his providence to achieve his purposes. How committed God is to accomplish his mission of being merciful to the nations of the earth. That's something we should join in. We should join with God in his passion to bring his mercy to the nations of the earth. And the nations are coming here, aren't they? There are our, our, there are our neighbors We also see here in Jonah chapter 1 the greatness of God's power to bring peace. And we, we, we see it when we contrast this passage with the story of Jesus calming the sea in Mark chapter 4, which we read earlier. 
It's very interesting to, to compare these two stories. Both of them have some stark similarities. In both stories, each has a man asleep in a boat during a storm. While there are others in the boat, fearing for their lives, doing whatever they can to survive. Both men get questioned by the fearful sailors for sleeping during such a crisis. But unlike Jesus, Jonah was not able to calm the storm. Only God is able to do that. And when Jesus said to the wind and waves, Peace, be still, he was demonstrating that he was God and that someone greater than Jonah had come. God calmed the storm of his wrath on Jonah and Jesus calmed the storm of the wrath of God on us. Our sin deserves God's wrath and Jesus took that wrath for us. He brought us peace with God. How great is God's power to bring about our peace and our salvation. I want to end now with these words from another prophet, from the prophet Hosea. In Hosea chapter 6, there's a call here for each one of us to turn away from our sin and to return to the Lord. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. After two days He will revive us. On the third day He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We return to you now. We abandon our sin that we've kept hidden and we confess that to you now. Lord, we thank you that you are slow to anger. You are tender towards us. Even if we've been dealing with some sins for years and years and years, you are tender towards us. You're slow to anger and you welcome us to, to come to you for grace and help to overcome sin and temptation. Lord, I, I, I ask that you would give these brothers and sisters strength in, in their uh, fights against, against sin. Give them courage to, to, to initiate exposing and confessing their sins to, to one another. That they wouldn't wait for their sin to be exposed by somebody else, but they would bring it to light. That they would confess it to you and perhaps to another person. That they might receive your, your kindness and remember your gospel. So, Lord Jesus, I, I, I ask for, for that help for, for each one of us here. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your, the glory of your mercy and your patience and your power. Help us now to, to join you in your mission to bring the nations to repentance and to faith. So we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.